Hello and welcome to the Gospel Boldly podcast, where we confess with St. John that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. We're your hosts, I'm Thomas Lemke. And I am Pastor Eric Brown. Coming in for another rip-roaring episode in the Gospel of John, where we will continue into chapter 7 today, right? Yes, we are. We're going to be in the middle of it. And, And just as a reminder, from the end of last episode... You got to see the part where Jesus got to do the whole Rodney Dangerfield. If any of you are too young to know who Rodney Dangerfield is, I'll start. But he he was a comedian whose big shtick was, I get no respect. Right, right? Have you ever seen that Jesus. old movie? Oh, I got to call it old now. Caddyshack. Then, then yeah, you've seen yeah. Rodney Danger. Rodney, right. rather. At any rate, even before this, we have Jesus' own brothers mocking him. Making fun of him. Uh, why, why don't you go on up? <laughs> you should go on up. Guys, you know they're going to kill me if I go there. Yeah, I wanted to go to Jerusalem anyway. Go <laughs> go on. Go get yourself killed. You'd be less of an embarrassment. Mm-hmm. No respect from his family. So he's told them he's not going to go on up. At least not make a big show of it. And we're going to start at John 7, verse 14. And he's going to sneak his way on in. But anything else before we should dive on in? I don't believe there's any notes of note. So so just keep this in the back of your mind, that, that chapter 7 really deals with Jesus getting no respect. Uh, he's had a bunch of disciples leave, even his own family mocks him, thinks he's crazy. We'll see how, his, uh, how, how the levels of respect for Jesus continue to plummet. Hmm. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? All right. Now, let, let me unpack this a bit. Okay. Um, can you think of another time where Jesus is in the temple teaching people marvel? Uh, when he's a boy in Luke's gospel. Yeah, I mean, this does in some ways parallel what's going on in, in, in Luke chapter 2. But the idea at the time, the idea of the day was if you were going to be a rabbi, a good teacher, you would go and you would study under someone famous. Mm-hmm. And basically you'd walk around and say, I studied under so-and-so. I was their disciple. Here are my credentials. Woohoo! Like Paul uh, with Gamaliel. Yeah, Paul studied under Gamaliel. Or even in the if you in the world of philosophy, Aristotle studied under Plato, mm-hmm. who studied under Socrates. I mean, that that was the way you were used to do it. You were you you were supposed to show some bona fide, some some. Well, here's where I studied with. Here's here's who my master was. Almost like a kung fu type of thing, right? And so Jesus suddenly comes up and he is bringing out just fantastic teaching. They're like, wait a second, this guy didn't he he didn't go to college. What's going on? Where where did he <laughs> learn this? Where did he get all this stuff mastered? And so that's why they're they're pondering. It's not it's not as though Jesus never like opened up a Bible in his life or ever read the stuff. That's not what it means by study. It means he 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 never he, he doesn't have a diploma. He doesn't have Gamaliel's stamp of approval that he can point to. Mm-hmm. He 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 was self trained, as it were, right or on. or something else. Mm. Thomas, if you can carry on. Yes. So Jesus answered them. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, 
He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. This is an important thing about really what true Christian doctrine is, true Christian teaching is. There are fields where you get to invent things, where you get to discover things. Uh, if I had been a scientist, I could discover new things. I, I actually went to college intending to be a drug researcher. I wanted to to work on formulating cures for, for Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm-hmm. I could have discovered something. Instead, I'm a pastor. Do you know what I should discover and create that's new? Uh, Absolutely nothing. <laughs> well, I mean, because again, it, it's not as though... The Christian doctrine, the Christian faith, is something that we create, that we we come up with. Mm-hmm. And oh, oh, well, did you hear about Brown's great idea? Oh, oh I I want to be a Lemkeite. Yay! No, 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 that that's not the point. Rather, all doctrine, all teaching is God's. It belongs to God. That that that's why we 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 well, we just celebrated a Reformation, sola scriptura, by the word alone. Mm-hmm. Why? Not, not the brilliance of my own mind, not my own creativity, but rather based upon the word. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I bring this up, too, because this is something that, that isn't necessarily a standard among the Christian faiths. Um, one of my, my good friends from college uh, was three classes away from being a, uh, a Methodist pastor. He went to a very liberal seminary mm-hmm. in Denver. And one of the classes they had was called Creative Theology. Oh, so, Thomas, wow. what do you think they did in Creative Theology? Uh, lots of interpretive dance and uh, uh, exe- uh, rather eisegesis, I'm sure. <laughs> they had to create something new in theology. Yeesh. And, and, I mean, it, it almost destroyed this poor guy's faith because basically it was, well, none of this stuff. No, no. Here's what Jesus says. Look. It's not my job to make up something new. In fact, look how you're worried about, you, you hear this great teaching, you hear this great exposition of Scripture. I'm opening up the Scriptures to you, and you're wondering, well, where was this teacher? No, you've missed the point. The mm-hmm. point is not the teacher. The point is that which is taught. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, if you have someone saying, oh, well, well, we got to listen to this guy because he's awesome, oh, that, that misses the point. So, yeah, you, it, it doesn't matter. The church is not appropriate place, not an appropriate place for a cult of personality. Can that still happen? Oh yeah. Is that temptation? Oh yeah, yeah. So no, no. We we don't judge doctrines by who's saying it. We judge it by what it proclaims about Christ. Sounds good. All right. Can you just do the next verse, just nineteen? Because there's something something I want to point out there and rant about. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? All right. Here's the problem. (sighs) One of my big bugaboos is how they translate the word keep. This is a a place where there's a word for that that should be translated keep that often means observe or cling to. Mm -hmm. This one literally is, why is it that none of you poieia? Do the law. 
So it's not just keep. Oftentimes we'll use that word keep to, to do. No, keep doesn't really mean do. It mm-hmm. means to, to hold on to, to cherish. Jesus is being much more blunt here. How come none of you do the law? Mm. Moses gave you the law. You guys don't do it. So really he's showing here human frailty and weakness. This isn't just about, well, I, I try to uh, uh, observe things. No, you don't do the law. And yet you want to kill me. So now wait a second there. The law says that if you transgress the law, what happens? You die. So here you have that great irony of those who cannot do the law and deserve to die wanting to put to death the one who actually does the law. Right. So, so I mean, it, it, it's a bit more forceful language and such. So, but note how he just kind of comes out and says it. You guys want to kill me. Jesus does not beat around the bush. Not at all. He, he doesn't play his cards close to his vest here. It's, he's laying it all out. What's up with it? Stand and deliver. Tell me what's going on. Mm-hmm. So you would carry on then. The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's body whole? Uh, oh, man's whole body well, rather. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. He calls them on it. Oh, well, no, 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 we don't want to kill y- Yes, you do. You're all ticked off because of that healing on the Sabbath. You're, you're all in a flutter. Don't, don't pretend it's not. But look, you're fluttering over nothing. Even even in the Old Testament, uh, if you will remember, Thomas, what day was a child to be circumcised upon? The eighth day after and, birth. And, and what if the eighth day was the Sabbath? I guess you move forward. You, you circumcised on that. That was one of the things that you did. That 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 gift of circumcision of being of being officially brought into the family of God trumped the Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. And the observations thereof. Hmm. Well, if if bringing a person into the family of God trumps it, maybe maybe healing someone's whole body ought to trump it as well, guys. And so he he's just bringing out the this this wonderful hypocrisy. And deni- no 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 one's mad at you, Jesus. Y- yes, you are. Y- you guys were you you were freaking out. I do I do one nice thing, and you guys freak out. <laughs> so. Any other just thoughts on that? No, not really. Do you, do you note how, I, I do think it's beautiful, how Jesus just jumps on in and cuts them off. No, no, no. Don't don't even tell me you weren't thinking about killing me. I know how this goes. In fact, I wrote the book on it. <laughs> but, uh, all right. So just cut some off. Okay. So, so we get some reaction coming up here. So what is the reaction? Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man who they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. All right. So the crowd, the the people of Jerusalem, respond to this. And they're like, wait a second. Yeah, yeah, wait. No, we all know they want to kill him. Mm-hmm. 
So, so even uh, even as the folks in the temple are playing, oh no no we don't oh oh yeah everyone knows it everyone <laughs> knows it, and they're confused. Now they give a a interesting twist. Can he be the Christ? Well, we're not supposed to know where the Christ comes from, but we we know where he comes from. They miss the point slightly. If you carry on, okay. the idea was that the the Christ was just supposed to kind of appear sent by God. Ooh, ah. All right. So Jesus proclaimed. As he taught in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. When Jesus talks about where he comes from, he's not talking about the town where he was born. He's not talking about where he grew up. He's talking about coming from the Father. And when you get that point of people will not know where he came from, it's a matter of not, oh, we we didn't know what town he was supposed to be from. Mm -hmm. No, they're not going to recognize that he's sent by God. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be one of the great ironies. You get this even for the disciples. Jesus warns them. You know, there's going to come a time when when people are going to think they're doing a service to God when they kill you. Mm -hmm. Well, same here. So this is that idea. The point is you're missing everything. You're, You're not seeing the things of God. You're worried about place where I came from or 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 who my teacher was. You're worried about all these earthly things when I'm opening up the scriptures. Uh, look, I, I, I talked about Moses and circumcision. Completely doesn't matter to him. Let's, let's talk about where he's from. There uh, you go. Cool. Everyone likes the daily dish and dirt more. Of course. Uh, gossip, all right, we will take a quick break and be back after that. And we're back to the Gospel Boldly podcast, where we are plugging along, moving through John chapter 7. And we're at a point where Jesus is really kind of confronting folks in the temple, even when everyone knows that they want to kill him. And he some comes and he points out and basically says, y'all don't know the one who sent me. Y'all don't really get God. Oh. There's an old phrase that the uh, the media just doesn't get religion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's telling the religious people, you don't even get God. You you wouldn't know God if he walked right up and was teaching in the temple in front of you. <laughs> Quite literally. So, all right. But any thoughts before we, we go on that on about what Jesus says there? Or shall we carry on? Let's carry on a little bit longer here. All right. If you would read then through 31. Okay. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? All right. There's two beautiful things here. They want to arrest him, but his hour has not yet come. This is a great reminder from John that even as we see this earthly thing going on where where you've got the people opposing Jesus and they're going to try and put a stop to it. This all is in God's control. He is the one who sets the hour, who who's in charge of things. His his time, his hour had not yet come. This is a great reminder for us because we are folks who are stuck in in time, in, in temporal life. And one of the things that we think is we 
we we see all these things going on and and things seem out of our control or or more to the point we're worried about who has control who who's doing things that can mess with us yet the great reality the great truth is that god is in control um this is this is Jesus' teaching. Why Don't worry about what you eat or drink or what you'll wear. Can you, by worry, add one hour to your life? No. God's in control. So relax. Look, he was in control with Jesus, even when they wanted to kill him. Well, nope, not going to happen until the right and appropriate time. And you know what happens when it is the right and appropriate time? We don't call it Bad Friday. We call it Good Friday. Mm-hmm. So, so first, God's in control. Relax, relax, relax. And then I do like the sarcastic question that the crowds who believe in Jesus ask. So when the Christ comes, is he going to do more than this guy? I, I, why are we griping? Mm-hmm. What, what more are we looking for? What, right. what, what more miraculous stuff do you need than the guy feeding and healing and, and man, even getting Samaritans to play nice? What, what more do you want? Mm-hmm. So that's my question to you, Thomas. What more do people want? Um, well, which people? I mean, clearly the people who believe in him don't want anything other than what they're getting necessarily. Those on the Pharisee side, um, I would say they want someone who will glorify them in some way, as Jesus kind of alluded to just now. And that hits the point. The whole perspective you have towards the Christian faith is centered around Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Mm-hmm. The, the believer, the faithful one, looks and says, look, God is glorified. Look at what Jesus has done for me. This is awesome. Thanks be to God. The unbeliever, well, what about me? Mm-hmm. How, wh- what about all the good stuff I did? What about what I bring to the table? And, and that becomes that big distinction. Even here, you have that, no, 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 Jesus is hogging the limelight. Let's put him down. Mm-hmm. No, look at what he's done. God is awesome. This is great. He's sent us someone cool. Wonderful. (laughs) Right. So so you just get that contrast between let's arrest him and kill him, and he's pretty awesome, guys. I mean, what more are you wanting? Mm -hmm. So, all right. Cool. Good job. Any other thoughts? Not yet. All right. Carry on. All right. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering. uh, Oh, muttering these things about him. Ha. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. I, I, I love that. They, they hear that the crowd is starting to think, oh, he might actually be the Christ. They're like, we better hurry up, hurry up, arrest Quick, him quickly. Too many people might believe in him. Hurry up and arrest him. It's just, it really shows just how pernicious it is. It's not, hmm, maybe we should reconsider. No, no, no. He's a, he, he's a schlub. Get rid of him. <laughs> So, all right, we'll carry on. Let's hear, hear Jesus' response. Finish through uh, 36. Okay. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me, and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Again, note how there's that continual carnal, earthly thinking. Oh, he, he's going to 
Maybe he's going to move out to one of the Greek-speaking places. Maybe he'll go to Babylon and hide out there. Is Jesus going to go on the lamb? No, no, that's not the point. The point is that he is the lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. He will go to the cross. He will suffer. He will die. He will rise. And he will be giving life and salvation in the church, in the forgiveness of sins, in the word and sacrament. And, and, and are, are the unbelievers ever going to want that? Nope. Will an unbeliever ever see church and say, oh, yes, well, here's God? <laughs> no. Without, without, the, without eyes to see granted by God, you're not going to see it. And that's the point. I'm going to be here preaching with you guys longer, and then, then you're not going to mess with me anymore. So, so Jesus is really speaking to a great spiritual reality, a great spiritual truth about the, the reality of the church, and that there is just a, a distinction between those who have faith and those who don't. Who, you, you, cannot, you must be born again, which is why we're going to move on to the next topic. Mm-hmm. You want to carry on? Yeah. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Huh! Look at that! Suddenly we're talking about about the Holy Spirit again, and and the gift of the Spirit. And what's the Spirit going to do? Bring faith and joy, and out of his heart will flow living waters and faith and all that great stuff. This is all that third article stuff of the creed that that we learn in the catechism. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, working upon, worked out by the Holy Spirit. I believe I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, or or find him if I'm looking for him so I can put Jesus to death. (laughs) But rather the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel and lightened me brought forth living water out of me. This is that whole idea. So so really what you're getting here is you're getting this wonderful tie-up about, look, God is at work in the hearts and minds of those who believe through the word and spirit. And this is all pointing to it. This is, this is all driving towards the great joys of, of the crucifixion, of Easter, of, of Pentecost, when all this stuff takes shape and is clear and people get what's going on. So... All right. All right. Thoughts or stuff there? Mm-mm, no, not yet. I'm, I'm very shallow on thoughts today, but then again, we are recording uncharacteristically in the morning. Don't say you're shallow. That's <laughs> say, say you are content to listen. That sounds better. Very true. All right. All right. Shallow Tom. <laughs> 40 right. bin. Uh, yes. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So note that Jesus causes a little bit of chaos in Jerusalem, that there, there's, there's division, there's, there's fighting back and forth. Um, should we be surprised... When, when speaking about Christ Jesus and who he is today even still causes division or angst or chaos. No, I suppose not. 
this is one of the things to to remember, and I, I I do think this is one of the things that John wants to emphasize. Look, it's not as though what we're living in now is any more chaotic than what it was when Christ was here. If you want to think of it this way, the last chapter and a half, even the last two whole chapters, have really been disabusing us of the notion that, oh, if only, if only we were in a different time or place, everything would be sunshine and daisies and... Pr no, no, the world always looks at the church, looks at Jesus and goes, bleh. <laughs> and, and there's never been a, a mythical golden age when everything's been been perfect and wonderful and look look at the hard time they're giving jesus jesus himself is preaching and half the people want to arrest him and kill him that's true I, man even even in today in america where christianity is kind of on the wane that's still we're, we're still better off than they were in jerusalem in Christ's day right. if you want to think about it that way so i mean that there's this uh wonderful call for contentment in the face of hardship and trial. Look, that's the way it is in the world. But Christ still does what he needs to do. He still wins salvation for you. That all goes according to God's plan. And you know what? When you see hardship in your own life and troubles, don't worry. It's all still going according to God's plan. And guess what his plan is? To bring you salvation. So, all right. All right. Carry on. Okay. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers, were, uh, the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does, that does not know the law is accursed. So, so basically, scuttlebutt's starting to fall out. And the, the the chief priests and the the Pharisees basically say, "All right, you guys in charge, you officers, why didn't why didn't you arrest the guy when he had the chance?" Or like, men, we're not used to people talking the way he did. We didn't want to go mess that up. I mean, that that was even even the the unbelievers don't want to mess with Jesus. This actually comes up a few other points. When when Jesus is speaking, you don't interrupt him. It doesn't work. So so they're even, okay, no, no, we were hands off. We were hands off. And they're like, are you sure? Have you converted? Are you deceived by him? Note how, note how suddenly there's almost this, this great overwhelming sense of suspicion and fear. They're getting paranoid. Yeah. It's true. So... <laughs> Well, and maybe with slight reason. So, if you would carry on. Okay. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophets arise from Galilee. Nicodemus pipes up. Nicodemus from back in chapter 3. Oh yes, we know the truth of the Messiah. Do, do we? <laughs> uh, apparently they don't. But he, he tries to put up a good word, and what do they do? They smack him down. Oh, you must be a Galilean. That's the only thing that could be to it. No prophet comes from Galilee. So you get this whole just, it's all disdain. There, there's ego. There's, there's regional factionalism. And, and it's all just a giant, utter, horrible mess. Because they're not looking at the things of God. 
They're looking at the law as a checklist rather than that which shows them their sins. Thus, they see no need for a savior and it's all kaput. So, that brings us to the end of Chapter 7. Yeah, it does. So, yeah. All right. Well, well how about we prep on up? Prepare yeah. yourself for the Inquisition. I agree. We'll, we'll go ahead and pause and uh, come back on the other side. begins the Inquisition! The Inquisition! What a show! The Inquisition! Here we go, we know you're wishing that we'd go away! But the Inquisition's here and it's here to stay! Oh boy! The Inquisition! And welcome back to the Gospel Boldly Podcast, and we're now moving on to that part of the show that we call the Inquisition, where Thomas and I get put to the test, either by each other or by your own question that you are always able to send on in. But, in the break, Thomas, with a spirit of false boldness, came on up <laughs> and said, you asked me first, Pastor, you asked me first. Okay, it wasn't quite that demonstrative, like, how about you go first? But, but still, he's like, you asked me first, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put him to the test first. Are you ready, Thomas? Yes. All right. So I was wandering around looking on Facebook and such like that and other places, and I saw yet another article that mentioned how, according to survey results, Folks are moving away from the church. Less people are going to church. Less people are praying. Less people believe in God. How do we as Christians respond to this? Especially when someone points out to us, oh, look at it. Numbers are declining. It's all going against you. The, the, the train's leaving the station. You better jump off before it's too late. How do we respond to that? Well, the first question I would have in the spirit of the Colombo technique is, so what? Um, yes, okay, so if people are moving away, let's go ahead and accept those numbers at face value, believing them to be true. People are moving away and someone's rubbing that in our figurative faces. Uh, so what? What What does that prove, in other words? If, if there's an exodus from a system of belief towards another system of belief, because everybody's got one, what does that ultimately prove? And if the answer, as I expect it would be, is, well, it proves quite simply that people just don't find your ideas convincing and therefore everybody's moving away from it in droves. So shouldn't you begin to question your own beliefs if, if people are voting with their feet, so to speak? Then that begs the next question, which is, why, kind of in the spirit of the Gospel of John, what we've just been reading, why, why follow the crowds in anything? Why, why should we expect the wisdom of crowds to be greater than, for instance, the wisdom of the scripture and any number of other things? Uh, does that sort of get at the heart of what you're asking? I think, I think that works. There, there is that often appeal to the crowd. One of my favorite scenes in the film, the guy yells out at the crowd, quit following me, you're all individuals, and they all answer <laughs> in accord, yes, we're all individuals, except for one guy in the back who says, I'm not. <laughs> and, and it's just, but, but there is that almost danger of of groupthink mm -hmm. rather than what is right it's what is everyone doing oh now i can sound all crotchety if everyone jumped off a bridge would you go to <laughs> i mean there, there is a point to that 
one of the things that I think does happen is the world will want to throw and fear in our face. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll even get folks in the church who are freaked out. I mean, there there are a few things worse than when a congregation has suddenly started freaking out because numbers are dwindling. Yep. I, yep, I mean, yep. that that's when so many strange and wild things go on. That's true. Rather, no, we belong to God. We are his people. He provides the sheep that he wants, and that's the good thing. And we will go and we will feed on him. We will hear the word and we will speak as we are given the chance to speak and let the chips fall where God says they're going to fall. Mm-hmm. Just remain faithful and in all things. Well, exercise faith. So there's your right. redundancy. There you have, you ever, have you ever gotten called for one of those polls? No, I never have. I, I got called for one for the last election. Really? It, it was it was interesting and tedious. So, huh. all right. Well, okay. Maybe that maybe maybe poll data didn't strike you as intimidating as, as I thought it might. But, all right, so do your worst to me. You, okay. you, you were smug. You had a question. So, yes, all right. yes. Bring it, well, bring it. As, as we continue here in John, the next step of what we're going to be getting into is what some call the pericope adultery. That is this section of text that here in my ESV has the note, the earliest manuscripts do not include verses uh, 753 through 811, which is the entire story of the woman caught in adultery. So my question to you, less focus specifically on this particular text and more generally what do we do when we see these notes in our bibles that say manuscripts differ on uh what they say history is messy this is just one thing that i'll say when we're talking about the scriptures we're dealing with a text that is well <laughs> 3500 to 2000 years old and mm-hmm. that, that's a lot of time and also especially with the New Testament, we're dealing with something that was actively sought out and destroyed in the first 300 years of the of the church. I mean, whenever persecution came on, they didn't just grab the people, they made sure to burn the books. That's true. Um, so what happens is you do get some confusion in in the history of the text, in the the what survives. Um, now, no, I'm not saying, oh, well, wait, there was actually a John chapter 22 that we don't know. <laughs> but, but you do have places where in just looking at the texts that we have that survive from antiquity, some don't have this section. Now, could that have happened simply because things got damaged, things got lost? Could it be a later insertion? We, we don't know. So... And there, this is really probably one of the two biggest chunks like this. Right. A lot of times it might be just a single sentence or, or a word or two. And some of this is just if, – if you get a chance and they ever like show some of the, the – if you're ever by a place where they have early copies of Scripture, some of these are in, in rough shapes and there's gaps. If you go to college and become a classicist, <laughs> you'll deal with this all the time. Um, now, the great thing about the Scriptures is we have – tons of of copies available surprising amounts um so we we actually have a really good textual history it's just with with these what would it be 12 verses 13 12 verses some didn't some early copies didn't have that and and so it's one of the things where it's sort of up in doubt as to 
whether it actually should be or not. So in general, what does this mean practically? Um, what the church has done, the, the custom has been, you never use this passage coming up as the primary source for your theological argument. You, you, you never quote this one first if you're if you're going through in a, in a paper. You, you bring it up second or third. You use it in a support role rather than the primary. Why? Well, just because, you know, it It might not have been, but but it it doesn't seem bad, so we'll we'll keep it in. We'll 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 go with it, but we don't make it the primary source. Does that make sense? Yep, sure does. All right. Was that utterly confusing? Not not to me, but then I do have a lot of time spent digging through the whole textual history text. Let, Let me put it this way: think of how easy it is, even just with with carrying papers around today, to have a page fall out of something. Mm-hmm. Or or you're you're typing up your paper and you didn't hit save often enough and you accidentally delete a paragraph. Mm-hmm. Even with our technology, we can we can like misplace and this is in the ancient world when you're copying things by hand. Yep. So so I mean this could have easily been scribal error. Or actually what would happen is you'd normally have someone reading and several scribes copying down. Guy gets distracted and loses his place. What happens? You, you've skipped stuff. Yep. Or, or a guy has a lisp. Oops. And and one scribe hears, oh, there, there's an S sound at the end of that one. So, oh no, that's not supposed to be an S sound. We know how that goes. That's just crazy Joe with his lisp. All right. So, <laughs> so I mean, a lot of this stuff is just the 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 earthly history that comes on in. So sounds good. It's not a huge deal, and we roll with it. Bingo. In fact, in fact, actually. If someone claims that their holy book has absolutely nothing strange or bizarre at all with its history, then it's not a real history. Mm. I mean, just because in this world, things get messed around with. Even, so yeah, all right, okay. Does that work? It does. I will go ahead and give a quick uh, reference if anybody wants to know more on that particular subject. A really good popular level layman's work on it is the King James Only Controversy by James White. Really, really good version of that okay. uh, argument there. So, all right, all right, awesome. Well, then, getting back into this particular text, John chapter eight. Um, would you like to proceed? All right, sure, go for it. Okay, so finishing off uh, chapter seven, verse forty-three or fifty-three, they each went, uh, or they, uh, wow, they went each to his own house. Uh, chapter eight, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. In placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? All right. Now, some of the reasons why some people think this doesn't fit is is it just doesn't seem to fit in the narrative flow. Mm-hmm. Here's what I will say in favor of it fitting. Keep in mind in chapter 7, Jesus said, you've got the law of Moses and you don't do it. Uh-huh. So then what's the, all right, she's got adultery. She, she's been committed, she's committed adultery. What, what does the law say we do with adulterous women? Yes, stone them. So, so there is some rhetorical flow. There is some connection. Um, 
does that prove? Uh, but but I mean, the, there there is a connection here with what's come before. Mm. So so basically, it's almost a matter of hey, let's go trap Jesus in his own words. You you talk, you say we don't do the law. All right, let's do the law. And the law says die. <laughs> so we're good to kill people, and that just as we're good to kill her, we'll be good to kill you. Ha 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 ha! You see how that kind of do you see how that kind of gets to be kind of a, a neat little flow there? Definitely. All right. All right. Um, they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, "Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her." Now. That is the one part that does make some people even more dubious, that that sat down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, well, that sounds kind of just off or weird. I mean, it doesn't really come up again. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the uh, early church heretics would claim Jesus had secret teaching. Like, oh, look, here's an example of secret teaching. Woohoo, yeah! <laughs> well, you know, what's he doing with the ground? He's looking at dust. What is man? Dust. Dust. So, I mean, I, I, I think it's basically, no, look, Jesus is pondering life while you bring this to him. And he gives his ruling. So, let he who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then Jesus picked up a stone and said, I have no sin. And whack! No, no, <laughs> that's not how it goes. But, but he he turns it around on them. The law says she should die, so let's kill her. All right, well, what does the law say? Anyone who has a sin should what? Die. Mm-hmm. All right. So you want to be the doers of the law, the executioners? All right, whichever one of you is perfect, go ahead and do the execution. Mm. Do you see that really? It, it takes that whole thing focus they have on let's put them to death we're going to be righteous and put them to death really what what makes you think righteousness is defined by killing when we confess that god is the creator mm-hmm. wh- which is the which 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 takes priority which takes trump so all right uh and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground but when they heard it they went away one by one beginning with the older ones and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Note how Jesus is just kind of very dismissive of them in this. He's not really engaging them very well. Just sort of, I'm going to go back and I'll go back to my doodling. So finish us off. All right. Uh, let's see. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Nope. Go on your way. Oh, and cut out the affairs, because, I mean, you know, I'm not always going to be here to tell them not to stone you, so, like, <laughs> don't go sleep around with someone else and get yourself killed, because, you know, they're still bloodthirsty. But, hey, the greater thing is not to condemn, but to receive life. Mm-hmm. And that'll probably do it for us. Yeah, that's that brings right? us to the end of this episode. And, and and then we're back into the flow in John 8, and it'll be all good. So Can't wait, and John 8. And we'll get chapter. more people angry. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Oh, just ticks people off right and left. Great chapter. Love it. All right. All right. Have a good one, all.